The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This is Matt Liner, and you're listening to Reign of Troy Radio. Reign of Troy Hotline. Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Get Michael Castillo on the phone. <laughs> Scrap, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Oh, I can't believe. USC are the past 12 champs. All right, Trojan fans, turn up the volume. It's time for Reign of Troy Radio. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Reign of Troy Radio, episode 303, coming to you on Wednesday, February 27th. Uh, th- today, we're going to talk about a ton of stuff. We got a pack show talking Graham Harrell, strength and conditioning, uh, officiating the Pac 12, uh, the NFL Combine, and, and, and a lot more. Um, you can, as always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy. You can like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, and Spreaker. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. And our email address is Reign of Troy at fansided.com. If you hadn't noticed already, it's happened again, guys. I'm your host, Alicia Deratola, and I am not here with Michael Castillo. Uh, Michael is out injured. Uh, he has lost his voice and, uh, and and is just totally incapable of recording an audio podcast right now, which is really unfortunate. But the good news is we have found a pinch hitter. Uh, we're very, very happy to have Alex Polk back on covering for Michael uh, once again. Thank you so much, my, uh, so much, Alex, for uh, for coming in here and and basically saving saving Michael's bacon. I'm ready. I'm ready to have my Jack Sears moment and lead us to victory. So, <laughs> yes. At least more victory than he led us to. Yeah. Well, I mean, he tried, though. He tried. <laughs> uh, if if you're Jack Sears, then Michael's JT Daniels, and that's uh, that's fun. <laughs> that's really I mean, it's fun. spring, right? All all jobs are open for competition. Uh, uh, pretty much, you know, if, if, if that's that's what USC is trying to tell us. USC keeps trying to tell us that all the all the competitions are open and we are going to have a discussion in a little bit about uh, whether or not we buy any of that, whether or not we actually buy that these competitions are open. But uh, we are very, very glad to have Alex on. Uh, you can find him on Twitter, at KingPojax, and uh, and give him a follow. And I uh, hope, yeah, I'm, I'm, this episode is going to be really interesting because there's not necessarily big stuff to talk about, but there's a lot of little things. So uh, without further ado, let's get into the news. All right, so the big news news this week is USC's offensive coordinator, Graham Harrell, finally, finally spoke to the media. It's been a while since he's been hired, and we hadn't really heard anything from him. And so he sat down on Monday with uh, with some of the beat writers and basically riffed, uh, answered questions about the air raid, about the quarterback battle, about the running backs, all sorts of things. Uh, it was an interesting little little moment for him, a uh, good sort of, sort of solid half hour that people got to ask him questions, um, and I, I think the the big thing that's coming out of of this of the little press conference really is the idea of what Graham Harrell's air raid will mean for USC. And I know that one of the big things that I took from it was the idea that it's an identity. That was one of the things that Graham Harrell talked about. It's an identity, and it's all about keeping things simple, um, o- taking away the complication, trying to get guys to not overthink things and just go out there and play, uh, which which I found very, very refreshing. I recorded a snap take for our Patreon uh, listeners uh, on Monday reacting to it all. So I've, I've, done, a, I've done a solid half hour uh, di- dissecting the, the half hour of Graham Harrell speaking, which is, you know, something wonderful. But uh, I'm anxious to get your thoughts, uh, Alex, on what was, what was your big takeaway from what Graham Harrell talked about? Um, a lot of the things I liked mostly about the identity for the offense and execution. I think that's been a big thing that USC has been lacking the last couple of years, a focus on execution. But the there's a couple of things that that kind of made me go, what? The first was 
he said that he has no intentions of out scheming you know other teams. He was more focused on execution and tempo, which I mean I kind of get, but I don't know if the first thing out of my offensive coordinator's mouth is I'm not here to out scheme anybody is something I really want to hear. And the, the right, other especially thing was, when especially when schematic advantage has sort of been a question mark for USC over the past couple of years, like the idea that it felt like USC was not scheming things well. Uh, it, I, 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 that statement definitely jumped out to me as well. Yeah, and the other was about his comfortability with the quarterback checking out of the at the line of scrimmage. Now, I understand that that's something that you know all quarterbacks do in all offenses, but his idea or his philosophy that his play calling is a suggestion and as they get comfortable, he's fine with them uh, checking to what they feel comfortable with. That, that worried me because all I saw in my mind was a whole lot of JT Daniels checking to Amon Ross St. Brown's slants, you know, over the course of the year when we're screaming for Michael Pittman and Tyler Vaughn's to be more involved in the offense. That's a, that's a pretty that's a pretty good point because see not not just for Amon Ross St. Brown's slants but I could just sort of imagine JT seeing single coverage on the outside and going well we're going long uh, which you know <laughs> can sometimes work but it isn't necessarily an offensive strategy as we've seen for you know over the last year uh, but but I I think there's also this is where uh, coach speak and and what people say to the media and all that there there it's a little bit sometimes interesting to try and decipher what you actually take from it. Like how much of it is just coaches saying what they're going to say. Um, like the whole, I'm not going to out scheme anybody. Like it could just be him saying like, we're just going to keep it so simple that the scheme, you know, it's, it's not that he's not going to scheme receivers open. Like that's, that's sort of an obvious thing that he's going to try to do. You would hope. Right. Uh, but just sort of the, the, the repetition of the keep it simple, keep it simple, keep it simple kind of thing. Um, maybe that's just the root, the root of that. And then, yeah, like, I feel like every offense talks about letting the quarterbacks have a certain amount of control, uh, letting the quarterbacks have a certain amount of, um, ability to, to adjust to what it is that they see in front of them. The challenge for a quarterback coach, the challenge for an offensive coordinator is making sure that the quarterback knows what they see in front of them. Cause what was the, the thing that JT Daniels struggled with so much in 2018 uh, that, that that has been talked about in the past is that he seems to be able to diagnose things pre-snap pretty well. But post-snap, if the defense was, comp- was, was you know, was covering up what it is that they were doing and then and then shifting into things late, like he was having a, a hard time in the post-snap reads that, we, that he was coming at. Yeah, and that's that's what really concerns me because you think about Washington and how they've dominated Washington State the last couple of years and their defensive coordinator talking about we know what they do and it's not very difficult to stop them so now you have defenses throughout the Pac-12 who are already know how to you know cripple the air raid coupled that with JT Daniels now has a clear and obvious weakness in his ability to read defenses post-snap and then your offensive coordinator says he's not scheming anybody open. It it just makes you cringe at the very least. And at the very worst, you full-blown spiral out thinking about, okay, what happens when JT Daniels or whoever the quarterback is at USC has that 20 for 65 game where they've only thrown for 220 yards and six interceptions. And do we start to think, okay – you know, as a fan base, do we start to think, oh, we've been fooled again by a Clay Helton hire <laughs> and we're set back another two to three years, you know, based on how it goes? Well, that's the difference really between Cliff Kingsbury and Graham Harrell. Uh, the, the the nice thing about getting Cliff Kingsbury was going to be the proven nature of Cliff Kingsbury already, right? You, you look at uh, the, the, the idea behind the air raid is to do what you do really well. And and at times that can mean that a defense can figure you out. And if they know what you're going to throw at them uh, and they're better at stopping you than you are at executing, then that's going to be a problem. But Cliff Kingsbury had, had, what was it, six years of proving that 
you know, even though everyone knew what was coming, they still couldn't stop Texas Tech's offense. Like, that was just the fact of the matter, right? With Graham Harrell, it's it's only two years at North Texas. It's not the same level of play, and it's not the same uh, wealth of experience, but it's the same idea and same philosophy and mindset. And so what we're going into this season very much feels like Graham Harrell has the right ideas in terms of um, – of like, I'm personally really excited to hear that they want to simplify the offense. I'm really excited by the idea of, you know, don't think play, which is something that, that Harold talked about. I'm excited by the idea of, uh, by the idea of this offense, but the execution of this offense is ultimately going to be where, where it is. And it could really work because USC has the talent to pull it off. But, but at the same time, like, like you said, like you, you need to be able to have offensive concepts that, not only do you do them well, but they're also good enough concepts that when the defense knows what's coming at you, what you're going to throw at them, they still are going to they're, they're still going to beat the defense as opposed to just being easily stopped, like kind of what was happening to USC in 2018. And yeah, I don't I don't want to sound like I'm, you know, ranting on the Graham Harrell parade already before he even gets to coach a game, but because I mean. There's a lot to be said for simplifying the offense and making it something that executes at a high level. I feel if USC had that type of offense this season, they would have won a lot more games. I mean, they definitely beat Cal. They definitely beat Arizona State. And they probably only lose to Notre Dame. And uh, I would even say they beat Utah the way the defense played most of the game. Yeah. So Notre, you know, their their offense looks considerable. Their record looks considerable, considerably better. But having said that, where's what are the, what's the goal for USC? Because yeah, Graham Harrell can get USC's offense back to a ten and two, nine and three every season record. But uh, I guess the jury's out. We'll have to see. Can he take them to that next level, which is the playoff? Well, that's it's interesting you bring that up because that was a conversation I was having on on Twitter on Tuesday. Ryan Abraham tweeted that uh, that he felt like the offense would be more potent and fun with Graham Harrell, and that the team would probably surprise you. And I I sort of echoed those comments, saying like like I, I think I think USC will win more games than people expect them to because fixing the offense fix a lot of things, but it's not going to fix the core problems, right? Like it's not going to fix the 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 fact that I think we all at this point like intrinsically know that Clay Helton isn't a national title winning head coach. And so is this, is this, uh, what, what is it, um, you know, uh, on, on the Titanic, just sort of um, uh, playing music on, that's it, rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. Like that's entirely possible. But I think there's, there's merit to the idea of the ride being a little bit more fun and not so soul sucking as 2018 yeah. was. So my, that's my hope. That's my only hope with Graham Harrell is, is that he's saying the right things. I think as far as having an identity, I think that's the, the, the big thing is, is the identity thing. And he's sort of saying the right things in that sense. And so there, I think there's reason to be a little bit more positive, optimistic about the coming season while also recognizing that, it's short-term positivity, it's short-term optimistic uh, optimism and not long-term optimism, which is kind of a weird mood to be in, I'm finding, right. like, the, the, this week. It's, it's, it's a strange thing to navigate the acknowledgement that you're on a sinking ship, but also... The party's still going. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> or potentially, like, like you know, there might be reason to dance while this thing is going down. I don't know. We'll see what the offense, uh, what the offense does in 2019. One of the big aspects of the offense that's going to be uh, that we're going to have to sort of see come together is the quarterback battle, and that's something that that Clay Helton talked about during the signing day press conference that the quarterback battle would be open. Graham Harrell echoes those comments. Uh, here on Monday, talking about how, you know, every position is open because I don't have preconceived notions about any of them. And he talked a lot about letting the talent shine and letting them uh, letting them go out there and have fun. And and, and then they're going to make the decision based on who fits them best. That's that's what Graham Harrell says. Um, he talked up JT Daniels' obvious talent. He talked up Jack Sears' athleticism and leadership. He talked up, talked up Matt Fink's, uh, his competitiveness. But there still remains the question. I mean, I wrote something on Rainertroy.com uh, about 
Harold talking about the open quarterback competition and and giving a chance to all of these all these quarterbacks and then and on Patreon I talked a little bit about how hearing him talk about the quarterbacks made me think a little bit more open the door for the idea of it being a real competition and not just it's going to be JT everyone just needs to accept this but I wrote that article and then immediately got comments back going like it's going to be JT like don't don't buy with it, what he's selling you about the open competition so where do you stand on on this quarterback competition, who like do you actually believe that someone other than JT will be the guy come the the Fresno State game uh, this fall? You know, I do think it'll be JT, but that's only because I I'm not sure of Harold's track record. For me personally, when I when I look at the air raid and most of its schemes and what it's built to do for the quarterback, you would think that you would want the quarterback with the most athletic talent to be running it. Since it's not a high cerebral offense, I feel that JT doesn't have quite the advantage he would have in something like T Martin's offense. So, and I think everything is simplified and you want to play fast and you know, you don't want the players to think you just play. I think that opens the door truly for somebody like a Jack Sears, who I think is probably the most physically gifted quarterback on USC's roster right now. So, I mean, if Harrell gets enamored with how smart JT Daniels is and how much freedom he can give him to check in and out of plays, yeah, it's absolutely going to be Daniels, um, you know, leading the Trojan offense come Fresno State. But if Harold's a guy who's going to want to sling it all over the field, mix in some zone read to open up the run game, I I think that there's a legit chance that if Sears can, you know, just make small leaps throughout the spring and keep it close into the fall camp that he's got a shot to start. Yeah, I'm on, I'm on the same boat pretty much. I I I accept that I think it will be difficult for it not to be JT. And there are a lot of reasons to pick JT. I had someone on, on Twitter suggest that, uh, you know, Helton wasn't going to risk pissing off modern day uh, by, mm. by by picking anybody but JT. And I get that. I think there are politics that are involved here. But at the same time, I, I, want, I too think that the switch uh, in an offensive scheme really benefits JT, um, uh, Jack Sears in, in, these, in the idea of letting a guy loose and letting him play. Like, I feel like that's where Jack Sears thrives right like I don't think Jack Sears is a practice player I think you get him out there in real life situations and right. he's just gonna go for it and, I, and I'm very curious to see how that all plays out in spring camp we'll get our first taste of that next week uh, when USC starts uh, spring camp on on March 5th um, USC released the schedule for spring camp on Tuesday so if anyone's interested in going to spring camp practices they are open to the public at Howard Jones Field uh, on a uh, first come basis uh, you know, you have to you have to go in through the the north of 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 Goose Gate, um, which is sort of down by the um, the aquatics swim stadium, which I can never say the name uh, that 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 is. But if anyone's interested in going, it's um, March fifth, seventh, and ninth. Uh, so they do Tuesday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday practices. The Tuesday and Thursday practices start at three fifteen. The Saturday practice starts at ten. So March fifth, seventh, ninth. Uh, there's a week off for spring break, then the 19th, 21st, and 23rd, the 26th, 28th, and 30th, then April 2nd, 4th, 6th, 9th, 11th, and 13th, which the April 6th date being the spring showcase, which will be at Locker Stadium, which is, you know, not the spring game, but the thing that they're going to, the, 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 the practice that they're going to air on Pac-12 Network, um, which, to be quite honest, unless you just want a day out in the sun, like, don't. <laughs> don't bother don't bother but uh you know the, the they do have some some cool stuff for people uh, at the spring showcase but it's if you're if you're going there to watch the football ugh, I might warn you away from that one but uh that's the the spring camp schedule that that's coming up and and as i said those are open to the public so that's fun um but you know there's there's some more things here to talk about um and and something that a lot of people keep asking about and we really don't have an answer for yet, but the idea of USC's strength and conditioning coach position, which has yet to be filled, uh, USC has Keith Belton, who was an assistant under Ivan Lewis, running the winter workouts. And here's where things get interesting, because it's a week away from spring camp starting. 
USC doesn't have a permanent strength and conditioning coach. And that in in and of itself sounds feels like a red flag. It's been over a month. Uh, it, I mean, it's almost been two months now since Ivan Lewis left, and USC still hasn't filled that position. But but here comes Isaac Taylor Stewart, who posts on Twitter a what I'm calling a swole pick uh, of him, <laughs> and he's standing next to Amon Ross St. Brown, and they are flexing looking completely jacked, both of them. Like, not that either of them were, you know, flabby to begin with, but they look swole. And uh, Isaac Taylor Stewart, uh, the caption is, uh, you know we on that different food train. This offseason is a different mentality. Hashtag swole bro challenge. Hashtag eat crazy. Hashtag eat (laughs) dirty. I don't necessarily know how to decipher some of those hashtags, but it is interesting that, you know, you you get a look at that picture and you hear Graham Harrell talk about how he's been really impressed with the worth work ethic of USC's team. And all of that might be coach speak and, you know, looking jacked isn't going to win you football games. But does this ease any concern about the strength and conditioning program and, and what direction it's going in that you see sort of proof that guys are still putting in the work? Is this something to cling to? Some positivity? I mean... Not really. For me, <laughs> I, I would have been a lot more excited if it was Elijah Vera Tucker and Austin Jackson. Like, if I saw some of the offensive linemen in there getting swole, it's like, okay, it's going to be a different year in the trenches. Or maybe Christian Rector and Brandon Peely, like, you know, somewhere in the trenches that USC really needs the help. I'd, I'd feel a lot better, but uh, not skill position players. <laughs> I mean, they're they typically start closer to the to the end than you would an offensive lineman but i don't know i, I think something needs to be done soon i'm i'm totally with you on that a, a picture of a swole of a swole elijah vera tucker would have done would it would it on wonders for my positivity uh but i mean we'll see when when camp starts next week i'll, I'll be able to report on tuesday and, and tell you if if the offensive linemen are looking flabby or not or if they're looking you know swole uh, but uh, <laughs> but at the very least, at the very least, I I do think it's worth mentioning that we are a week away from camp starting. USC still hasn't hired a, a permanent uh, a, a strength and conditioning coordinator, and I am firmly on the on on the idea that uh, when they release the uh, the spring camp guide next week, next Monday, I believe it's coming out, they will also announce that Keith Belton is USC strength and conditioning coordinator. Which, you know, I don't know. Players seem to really like him. As we've often said, uh, Michael and I have often said, like, we don't know what a great strength and conditioning coordinator looks like or does. Uh, we just like somebody who has some experience. So, I don't know, we'll see. Keith Belton is is obviously not necessarily slacking, though. So there's that to, to, t- to take away from it. But, you know, little things. But obviously, we'll see how uh, we'll see how everything looks when USC gets back out on the field and and does or doesn't hire a strength and conditioning coordinator. We'll see about that. Um, just uh, in some Pac-12 news that we need to discuss really briefly here, uh, there is some movement as far as improvement in the Pac-12. Uh, if, again, kind of the theme of this of this episode, I think, is things that maybe, maybe sound good, but do we buy them? Uh, the Pac-12 has hired an agency, an independent agency, to do a full review of their officiating process. Uh, John M- Wilner of the San Jose Mercury News reported this uh, last week, I believe, late last week. Sibson Consulting uh, will focus on every aspect of officiating from recruiting, from recruitment and training to evaluating, grading, and incentivizing. Uh, so basically, the Pac-12 is acknowledging that their officiating is less than stellar and it's been ASU's AD and a couple others who have really spearheaded this uh this push to get an independent review to try and fix the problem. So, as I've been asking with all of these, does this give you any confidence? You feeling it? You going to give the Pac-12 any credit here or are you skeptical? Oh my sweet goodness, finally. Like it something had to have been done for 10 years almost now. I, so, I mean, I'll give them a little bit of credit for finally acting, but the damage has to be done already. I mean, the conference already has very little credibility anyway. And I don't know, part of me feels validated that they're actually doing something because I've been complaining for years, but 
at least it's something. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at. Um, the Pac-12 can't really win much right now because they have lost. I mean, this is something that I've I'm, I, I'm also saying about like Clay Helton. Clay Helton's lost the benefit of the doubt. So no matter what he does, there's going to be skepticism. And the Pac-12 has lost the benefit of the doubt. No matter what they do, there's going to be that little kernel of skepticism in my brain. But at the same time, it always goes back to that question of what did you want them to do? Like, what? what like, would would people be happier if the Pac-12 didn't do this? Like, it's at least they're doing something. It's there. There's sort of an an at least element to it. So, uh, this this report is going to get released publicly. Uh, I think they want it to be at the end of like, um, you know, basically they're going to do the spring. Uh, but oh, some I'm guessing sometime over the summer they're going to release the report publicly. So at the very least, like that'll be cool to see what this independent agency says about the Pac-12 and uh, and the officiating. So that's something to look forward to. But uh, we'll have to obviously wait and see on, on whether or not this yields anything for real when we get into the season and see what the officiating, uh, you know, how it does or doesn't imp- doesn't improve. Um, I just hope they release a... a- section that shows the percentage of targeting calls that they got wrong over the course of the season. <laughs> oh, that's, that w- that's the number I'm looking for. That would be really fun if 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 the review did a like deep dive in like accurate calls or like independent like independently agreed upon like this was a bad call. Like how I, I I don't know if that's even possible, but I would definitely want to see those numbers if if it if it is because yeah, yeah. Or, or like a breakdown by crew because there's yeah. a few crews in the Pac-12 where you see them show up and you're like, oh, it's going to be a long night. Oh, absolutely. And and that would be, I mean, if you're looking for things that the Pac-12 could actually fix, if someone independent comes in and says, like, this crew is really bad, like, you would hope that the Pac-12 could then just go and say, you know what? Yes, they are. We're going to move. We're going to find new people or change the way they train them or do do something, do, do something, anything to fix this officiating problem, because it has been horrendous for, like you said, like, like a decade it's been horrendous uh but uh you know it's something to look forward to later in the later in the year when uh, when they release those findings we have more to discuss uh we have we're going to get into the beta rank win projections for this year we're going to get into a little bit of the nfl combine and get to the mailbag uh coming up next All right, so our buddies over at Wildcat Radio, uh, they do a uh, an advanced sort of statistical measure, something like S&P Plus, but it's it's their own thing. Uh, it's called Beta Rank, and they came out with their profile uh, of USC this this past week, and it's interesting. It's very very interesting because they go through and they have the the win projections for the year for the coming year, and USC is projected to win seven point eight five games. Which kind of sounds about right. Like, I feel like the eight win thing is going to be sort of set between seven and eight wins. I'm guessing S&P Plus, when Bill Connolly does his thing, will probably come out in that same range. So, you know, that that sounds about right. But what's really interesting is the breakdown by game of of win probabilities uh, for this for this season for USC coming up next. So what I've done is I've gone through and ordered the games by most likely to win. So the highest win probabilities. And it's not surprising to see Fresno State up there at 89.7% USC win probability, then BYU at 80.3%, then Arizona at 78.5%, get into UCLA at 74.5%, Colorado at 73.5 73%, Stanford at 68.9%, ASU at 67.8%, and Cal at 67.8%. Those are the wins. Those are the the ones that you look at and say, "All right, here's where USC's uh, you know seven wins are going to come from, um, or or, or eight wins are going to come from." It's sort of eight and four situation. Then you get down into the ones that are really toss ups, and you got Utah at fifty point two percent, Washington at forty nine point seven percent, Oregon at forty eight point four percent, and Notre Dame at thirty five point one percent. So these are, I mean, these numbers are fascinating to me because I look at them and go, number one, I'm surprised that ASU, ASU and Cal are that much more unlikely to be wins than UCLA. Like, I, I just sort of would have thought, I guess statistically it makes sense because UCLA's numbers just haven't been good. But the ones that are really shocking, Washington is a 50-50 shot? 
USC going to Seattle against Washington is a 50-50 shot? Yeah, that's wild. I mean, it it seems a little odd to look at it and see that Utah at home is a 50% chance to win, and then Washington and Oregon are around that same on the road? At least I, I'm pretty sure the uh, Washington game is on the road. I'm not sure about the Oregon one, but though I, either they really feel that Utah is going to be a strong team next year, which it very well could be, but... I'm a believe-it-when-I-see-it person with Utah, but 49% chance to beat Washington on the road? Yeah. I mean, with you with Utah, I don't know that advanced stats can necessarily take into account what we all know about Utah at Rice-Eccles versus Utah everywhere else. Uh, so maybe just sort of the vast swing in Utah's home and away d- d- doesn't sort of pick up on, uh, on, on these in this kind of measure. But Washington has also been a, a team that has just been basically the, the, the cream of the class, uh, cream of the crop over the last few years. Going up to Seattle, it feels like a huge, huge challenge. And it doesn't feel like, like Notre Dame being a 35% game in South Bend, that feels about right. But mm-hmm. I feel that like Washington is probably, I would give it a 35% game going up to Seattle. So... It's just it's just interesting, but I I think this all and and for the record, Oregon is at the Coliseum, so that's okay. one one reason why that's a little bit closer, why that that's a, a little bit of a of a swing game there. But this also comes back to like the general gist of this is there's only one game on USC's schedule that the advanced stats think USC will definitely lose, that's and that's and that's Notre Dame, and I think it's it's interesting just thinking about the way that USC fans in particular are looking at this schedule the season and thinking. It's going to be terrible and USC is going to suck again and it's going to be all bad and, you know, they're going to go two and ten or whatever it is that some people are predicting. But when you get down to the sort of brass tacks, this team is still really talented. The recruiting rankings are still going to work really well in USC's favor. And the teams on USC's schedule, and this is something that I I, I wanted to talk about this a few weeks ago and we didn't quite fit it into the podcast because we had other things to talk about, but Dan Weber wrote an article on uscfootball.com talking about how like yeah USC's opening schedule is is kind of difficult but not for USC like USC shouldn't be f- afraid of this schedule as as tough as it will be USC shouldn't be afraid of it and i think these numbers kind of reinforce that like i don't think you want Cal and ASU to be as close as 67% but the fact of the matter is all of those games all of those the, those games the, the the sort of the top 7 are games where USC will be out talenting anybody and anybody else on the field. Are games where if USC comes out and doesn't completely just crap the bed, those are games that USC should win. As as skeptical as we are of USC, most of these games are very winnable. And I think that's where Graham Harrell is going to show how much he means to this program. USC should definitely be able to at least out talent those first eight teams that you mentioned, and. They should come out, and they probably should do a lot better against Oregon at home. You know, losing at Notre Dame, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, you don't want to lose to Notre Dame Just ever, but you, don't don't, get you can understand that. Right. So, I mean, if they are able to simplify and they execute, like, if they do execute, like, Harold says that their identity is going to be, then, yeah, I mean, you're right. Like, teams should be worried about USC, but... The thing is, I feel like we could have said this at the beginning of last season. I was saying at the beginning of last season. I mean, we were saying this going into the Western Michigan game uh, a couple years ago. Like, it it always boils down to that. And so far under Helton, there's been no reason for us to believe it's going to work out because it hasn't. Exactly. No, I think that's a really good point. And I think that's why the skepticism is, is warranted at times. But it's also why I've said this before, and I'm going to keep saying it. As soon as USC threw out the Notre Dame thing, as soon as USC started talking about Notre Dame's turnaround, that's when I said, okay, fine, we're going to hold you to that standard then. And I think it's entirely fair to hold USC to a 10-2 and standard if USC wants to talk about following Notre Dame's model and bouncing back and, oh, it was just a down year. That's f- fine. If it was a down year, prove it by going 10-2 and with the schedule. Because you know what the advanced, advanced stats say? The advanced stats say 10-2 and is more than possible. Because all you got to do is win the games you're supposed to win, 
and then split the split the four games that 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 uh, that you're not necessarily supposed to win. Splitting the four toughest games of the season. That that's all you got to do. I mean, granted, like like we said, you can say this every year and it doesn't happen, and that's not you know th- things aren't played on paper. But ten and two is absolutely possible if USC from a from from the top down gets their their stuff together basically and and doesn't mess around. And that's I, I find that again th- things that I find hard to process the, the being in that mood of ten and two is realistic for USC, but also yeah, you, you still know, have. Five and seven is still, is still a realistic possi- too. possibility on the table. Yes, exactly. And I think the big, I think the big problem is that the way Lin Swan has handled everything to this point, and what we've seen from Coach Helton and his staff the last couple of years, is it's not just it. It has to be at least ten and two, eleven and one. This team, like the USC fan base, has to wake up on the selection Sunday and feel that USC is in the playoff or we're riding because they got snubbed. Like there's, there's no, okay, we want to, you know, our goal is the Rose bowl and that's no, like it's, it's beyond that. The goal would have been the Rose bowl last year with a true freshman quarterback. Like this is the end of the rope. You've burnt up all your goodwill. There needs to be results and there needs to be results fast. Oh, I I totally agree. I, I don't even think USC fans will be happy with the playoff berth. I think <laughs> USC fans will expect what will will not be happy with anything short of a playoff berth and probably a playoff win. And once you win one game in the playoff, then USC fans just want the national title. Like you know, like that's right. that's the level that USC's at. So it's it's almost an impossible standard, but it's also a standard that USC itself is setting itself. Like you cannot talk about Notre Dame and their turnaround. Right. And then not recognize that that means get to the playoff then. And, you know, it's I, I don't even think that's a, a, a realistic possibility for USC to be in the playoff. But this is the bed that Helton and Swan have created. I mean, it's uh, to, to make an analogy, it's kind of like um, in high school, like we used to get progress reports before report cards. You know, progress reports where your grades, but they weren't the official ones that go on your transcript or anything. And, you know, you might have a C or D or something on the progress reports and you say, OK, don't worry about it. It's just progress reports. <laughs> you know, like that's where we've been as as a fan base with with this USC regime under Hilton. It's it's they've always been saying it's progress reports. It's progress reports. Don't worry. We'll get it turned around. Well, report cards are coming and there's no way it's looking like it's going to be straight A's. I mean, there's like there's there's nothing going on to make anybody who's been paying attention believe that it's going to happen. Right. And 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 that's the thing is if you brought home the progress report to your to your you know parents and they see the 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 D or the C and they're looking at you going like you better turn this around. Like if you come back with anything if you come back with the D or the C then it's like well but you knew that's where you were. Like you you knew you needed right. to turn it around and if you didn't turn it around then you know there's there's no excuse there. So that, that's that's USC's I feel problem. Like I feel like they've hedged it so much that you can't even come back with a B now. I mean, they they've blown so much smoke at yeah. us that you better come back with an A and a high one. You know, yeah. There's no squeaking by. No, absolutely, absolutely. But like you said, that's the, that's the bed that USC has made. So we, we will see how they they end up sleeping in it. It's gonna, it's gonna be very. This is what I keep getting back to. Like, we have a question later asking about like whether or not we're looking forward to the season. And like I'll answer it then, but th- these are the intrigues. These are the intrigues that have me just sitting there going like, okay, this is the part of the off- I've said this before. This is part of the off season where I sort of get um, optimistic <laughs> because you can always <laughs> lean back on USC's talent. You can always do that, uh, and it always yeah, screws me over by the time you get to the season. But I mean, the numbers are there. The, the numbers, the numbers don't. The numbers mean something. The numbers don't mean everything, but the numbers do mean something. And you see that, and you go like. The 2019 season should be better than than the 2018 season by a long shot. It's about USC living up to what it what it can be and what it should be, uh, which is always the challenge. Uh, last thing before we get into the mailbag, really quick, the NFL Combine is coming up this weekend in in, in well this week in Indianapolis. Uh, USC has five players who are going to be participating: Chuma Adoga, Porter Gustin, Iman Marshall, Cameron Smith, and Marvell Tell. 
Uh, it's an interesting week for these guys because these are all guys who return for their senior seasons with a lot of hope, with a lot of uh, they wanted to achieve something at USC and it totally fell apart in 2018. But all these guys are also coming in it with, I don't know, sort of reasonable expectations on the NFL level. I don't think anyone's going to be a, dry, uh, a super high draft pick, but every one of these guys could really, really improve their draft stock at the Combine and take take full advantage of the Combine. Um, particular, some, particularly someone like Port Augustine, whose biggest issue is the red flags around his injuries concerned. But like the Combine feels like it was designed for Port Augustine to be yeah. the workout warrior. So I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm very curious to see what he does. But is there anything in particular that you're looking forward to? Uh, to seeing as far as the the guys who are participating in the combine. Uh, yeah, I was looking forward to seeing the measurements and and you know drill times for like the Chuma Dogas and the Amon Marshall because I think Amon Marshall has a real chance to make himself a lot of money at the combine. I, I think if his forty time is where it's supposed to be, and maybe his three cone is is higher than what was expected. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, he was. Uh, Pro Football Focus is like one of their highest rated corners this last season. Yeah, like he had a he had a really good year. So if you know he comes out has a good combine, he could be a maybe low first, you know, second, mid second pick. Which I mean, I mean it's nothing to sneeze at. Oh, well, absolutely. I mean, basically all of these guys, and it's it's hard to get a feel for it because all of these guys feel like. I don't know. It could be a day two pick, but it also feels like they're all probably day three picks, and that's and that's really where uh, the 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 measurements that they put out in the combine and the performances that they have leading up to the draft will really will really be the deciding factor for them. And and this is where I think the combine potentially is going to reflect really poorly on USC, or at least the combine and pro pro day, in the sense that these are all players who in the end, didn't achieve at USC what you thought they could achieve. They didn't develop the way that you I mean. Cam Smith developed reasonably well, but the the rest of them, it just never felt like they were living up to expectations. And I think Iman Marshall ultimately proved that, that he was a good corner, but it, it didn't feel like that was USC's doing. That felt like Iman Marshall started taking himself more seriously. Uh, right. And, and, and then that, that yielded the, the, the benefits. But, like, a guy like Chuma Adoga who was the practice player of the week at the Senior Bowl, who never seemed to get the most out of his talent at USC. Uh, Port Augustine with the injuries was a problem. Like, Eamon Marshall didn't feel like he rose to the heights that you wanted him to rise to. Marvell Tell was a guy who I kept waiting and waiting and waiting to, like, break out and be elite. And he was good, but I don't think he was ever really great at USC. They could, they could really, you know, break out at the, at the Combine, and, and that would ultimately reflect pretty poorly in USC's development and and USC's ability to get the most out of these players that they recruited because these are all natural talents in in the in the end. Yeah, I th- I think that's going to the show a lot with Iman Marshall and his NFL career. I mean, he took a lot of flack from the fan base about, you know, his holding and all that kind of stuff, but a lot of people don't realize that he was fighting on an island by himself the majority of the year. When he gets to the NFL and he gets put in a little better scheme, his size and length is it's going to make you wonder where is all this at USC. I I'm almost willing to guarantee that people who watched in the last 4 years at USC are going to be shocked to see what kind of NFL player he is. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're going to be shocked to find out that he's not going to move to safety when he gets the NFL, <laughs> but that'll that, that's always something to uh to watch out for. Uh that's going to that's going to do it for the, the this lengthy sort of kind of newsish segment. Uh, let's let's get into the mailbag. We've, we've got some questions from the from the peoples. You've got mail. Alrighty, let's start this thing off with a couple of calls from uh, Cameron in Provo. Hey, Raina Troy, it's Cameron from Provo, Utah. I just have to ask, ask a question about same that offensive coordinator Graham Hill had to say about the air raid offense and how it can finally bring an identity to this team. And it can also make it very simple, but yeah, when we start to execute, it can become very complicated. I just wanted your thoughts on the statement and everything. Thanks. Hey, Ray and Detroit Radio. It's Cameron from Provo, Utah. I just have a couple questions I want to ask you guys on your next podcast on Tuesday regarding to Graham Heddle and with also captains of the football team. 
what do you think is Graham Harrell's philosophy on captains? Is he for it? Is he against it? Do we know of anything that he did have any captains at North Texas when he was the offensive coordinator? And then let's say that Graham Harrell did, does approve like captains or leadership on the team. Who do you believe are going to be the captains for next year's um, USC football team? Um, you can select four people. Um, doesn't matter if they're all on the offense, all on the defense, because we've seen through last year that the more you have on one side of the ball, the less leadership you have on the other, a.k.a. the offense. Um, just love to hear your thoughts. Um, I would love to voice my opinion as well. Um, just remember that we can always blame everything that we have on Larry Scott. Thanks for the calls, uh, Cameron. Uh, yes, you can always, it always, uh, the buck always stops up there at the top. So Larry Scott definitely deserves the buck stopping with him. But uh, yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about, about Graham Harrell and, and his philosophy. Any thoughts, Alex? I think the, the air raid is going to bring a lot of simplicity which allows for the talent to shine through. I mean, we're not going to be worried about whoever the quarterback is having to go through eight progressions or whatever. It's going to be one, two ball out. So I think that's something that's that definitely going to be a big plus for USC. Yeah. I'm, I'm personally looking forward to um, the philosophy. Like we talked a little bit about Harold says he's not going to out scheme anybody, but I do think that the biggest change we might see from the offense is is going to be at wide receiver, particularly just the the route tree that guys are running, um, and where you know what parts of the field USC is trying to use and exploit, and so the the philosophy of 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 keeping things simple and getting the ball out quickly and sort of taking over and all that kind of stuff. If you pair it with if you pair it with just a more I don't know like. A, a more effective scheme, then the philosophy is going to work beautifully for USC. It's just it's just a question of whether or not the the scheme is effective as well to go along with that. But uh, I I think one interesting thing to keep an eye on is how the tight ends are going to fit into this. I think with the way the air raid typically works, there's usually a bigger receiver on the outside who sets the the edge for the bubble screens and all that. But with USC having somebody like Josh Follow, who's a pretty much a six six wide receiver and not so much of a tight end, he he could be a revelation this year, considering, you know, the the I don't want to say subpar, but I mean that's the best oh, way to describe it. Was it the season he had last year. Subpar subpar is being very kind to USC's tight ends. <laughs> uh, and I love the tight ends. I think Josh Follow is a could has the potential to be a hell of a player, but Let's not sugarcoat it. None of USC's tight ends were anything other than subpar uh, in 2018. But uh, yeah, I agree with you. I think there's there's a lot of areas where there's going to be interesting usage of guys. And that's going to be one of the nice things about spring camp is we're going to get a first taste of what it's actually going to look like and, and who's actually going to be involved and in, in all of that. But um, Cameron also brings up the, the question of, of captains. And I think it's an interesting question. Um, I, I I have no reason to believe that Graham Harrell doesn't believe in captains or, or the importance of them. Pretty much every team has a leadership, uh, you know, structure on the player side of things. Um, as for USC's captains in 2019, I have been vocal about my concerns over the past two years about the makeup of USC's captains and how USC seems to have more defensive captains than offensive captains. And the lack of leadership that USC has had on offense has been a problem. This year, I think it's obvious that one of USC's captains will be the quarterback, whoever that guy is. Uh, the, the mm-hmm. quarterback will be a captain. And then and then it's going to be interesting because I think that Michael Pittman is an obvious captain potential. But That was definitely somebody I, I, I had on my radar when we, when we heard the question. I, I, I for sure think he's going to be one. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that. The thing that I want to know and that may be intriguing, like... We had the conversation earlier about Isaac Taylor Stewart and Amon Ross St. Brown and how, yeah, it's cool to see them swole like that, but it would be really cool to see one of the offensive linemen be swole like that. I'm at the <laughs> point where I would be really, really encouraged if one of USC's offensive linemen is captain. If Austin Jackson definitely. is a captain. If, oh, definitely. Yeah, Brett Nealon is a captain. If, if, if one of those guys turns out to be a captain, then that would say a lot to me. Um. 
I'm inclined to think it will be the quarterback and and Pittman as far as the two offensive captains. I I think if if this is another year where USC only has one offensive captain, then oh, that sounds really really not good. Uh, but uh, just to throw a bone out to the the defensive side of things, um, I I think John Houston will be a captain, and I was thinking Christian Rector. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Christian Rector could definitely be a captain. One of the defensive linemen, uh, Jay Tufele or Marlon Tupelotu, would be would be interesting to me if they were captain. But there, in the past, there have been many many options on the defensive side to be captains. This year, it's a little bit. They have so much. They're replacing so many guys. It's hard to say. Paul Ianateote yeah. could be as well. It's just a, it's a little early in his career to to be making that step up. Yeah, I, I think that's early for him, but I. I could see this being another year where it's only one player on offense, and because the only player on offense I think for sure is going to be a captain is Michael Pittman Jr. I, I've, I mean, if the quarterback, it makes sense that the quarterback would be a captain, but I mean, they're both like you know, JT Daniels is still a little young, I think, to command that respect. Right. So like, if it's Sears, maybe, uh, but otherwise, I think it's a one captain on the offense and. You're picking from linebackers and D linemen on defense. Yeah. Well, if it's Fink, I would guarantee you. Not not that it, I think it's gonna be Fink, but if it is Fink, I would guarantee you he'd be a captain. I think if it's That's Sears, it, he'd likely be a captain. And my argument for JT is that if JT is gonna be the quarterback, he almost has to be the captain just for the politics of it all. Like we talked about, like modern day and like all that kind of stuff. Like, That's true. The message it would send if he's not the captain <laughs> would be problematic i think but uh, you know these are these are things that are settled in fall camp so we'll see how it goes but yeah usc will definitely have captains usc i i imagine will will keep their leadership structure intact their leadership council uh intact they, they've changed it up a couple of years but and it doesn't seem to make a difference one way or another but we'll see how all that goes uh, let's move on to a, a tweet from uh scourge 77 and oh a little shout out scourge was the one who asked us to go through the beta rank uh projections i forgot to mention that earlier but he also had another question asking, how does Harold's offense affect the winning odds for next season? Thanks and fight out. Fight on. Uh, lo- love that little, love that one. Um, yeah, w- the, the odds for USC with Graham Harrell versus sort of against Graham Harrell. I think Michael and I have spoken before about, it feels like Graham Harrell is good for two or three extra wins. If Cliff Kingsbury was good for four extra wins, then it feels like, Maybe two point five for Graham Harrell. Are, are are you on board with that, Alex? Yeah, yeah, that feels about right. I mean, I mean, at least it better be two, right? Yeah, <laughs> if it's not, then oof. But I mean, because we just talked about, you know, the the seven the seven to eight wins projected sounds about right, right? So USC had five wins in in twenty eighteen. The offense being better is is going to be, I think, good for at least three wins uh going into going to 2019 so i yeah. I think we could give them a solid three because with the offense if the offense is right and they're executing you know they should definitely beat ucla cal and arizona state which are you know that's there's those are the three wins they didn't get last year that they should definitely get this season yeah and and i'm a big believer that the offense being better will take a lot of pressure off the defense i don't think the defense will be better necessarily I don't think you can count on the defense being better in 2019, but I think the defense could be more effective if it's not constantly having to go through 40 minutes of a game where the offense hasn't done jack. Uh, so I think the defense will be helped by the offense being better. The 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 overall mentality of the team will be helped by the offense being better. And the margin of error for the Cal, UCLA, and ASU games were so small in the end that that little step up, mm-hmm. that little step up, you got to say that accounts for something. Uh, I don't know right. that things will go the exact same way as before, but you can sort of, I think it's perfectly reasonable to bank on on Graham Harrell. N- not even just Graham Harrell, but the idea of USC going to a system, whether whether it was the air raid or the, I don't know, the wing tee or, or you know, <laughs> anything, going to a That's system, like an identity, yeah. yeah. Any identity was going to result in more wins for USC, at least, I mean, at least you would hope. Uh, let's move on to a text we got from Greg. He asked, are you excited for the 2019 season on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being out of your mind excited? Alex, how are you feeling about this one? 
Uh, right now I'm I'm at a solid four. Uh, you know, as we as we go through spring camp, um, and you know, get some reports coming out about the positional battles, it could definitely go up. But right now it's just a four. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think I started this year at like a. When when Cliff Kingsbury left and Brew McCoy left, I was solidly at a one. <laughs> solidly at a one. I've rallied. I'm probably up at about a five. I was probably at a four. And then I heard Graham Harrell. Then USC got Graham Harrell. And I heard him speak for the first time. And he got on the idea of identity and simplicity. And it probably moved me probably up a notch to six. By the time <laughs> spring camp is over, it'll be a seven. By the time fall camp comes around, it'll be an eight. By the time we're halfway through fall camp, it'll be a nine. And then, you know, the the week of the first game of the season, I am always excited. Like, as much as USC has tried to beat down my enthusiasm for this program, like, once the football is, once you can taste it, like, I will be crazy excited for the 2019 season. And we've talked about, I, I talked about this too, like, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. I, I'm not necessarily looking forward to be disappointed, which is entirely possible. <laughs> Very real possibility. But I'm very intrigued at the option of not being disappointed. <laughs> the eternal optimist in me reigns. Uh, as much as I, you know, as much as I, I work to try and limit my disappointments. Uh, I mean, it's it's. Inevitable. I just want to see. I just want to see the first depth chart. When yeah. The first Jeff's chart, death chart, start coming out, and I say, ooh, well. Maybe Sears has a shot because he's still listed as a co-starter, <laughs> you know, or, oh, Josh Follow is the alternate at the Z wide receiver position. Well, you know, that could up the excitement. But right now, th just thinking about, you know, virtually the same offensive roster from last year and the air raid with JT Daniels throwing deep every single time because he has the freedom to check to the plate <laughs> once. It's a four right now. This sounds like pessimistic, Alex. Uh, it really does. Definitely. All right, we're we're gonna wrap this thing up with a tweet from uh, Rechan or Raichan. I don't remember if we learned ever learned how to pronounce that one, but uh, they ask, "What are the odds of Kendall Milton becoming a Trojan? Kendall Milton, the five star running back, uh, big time target in the class of twenty twenty. He's from Southern California, so." I, I I gotta say, there's a chance. I mean, we're not recruiting gurus over here, but if USC doesn't have a 50-50 chance to get Kendall Milton, then they're doing something wrong. That's my opinion. Definitely. I I can't really disagree. I mean, they, they should get him. I mean, it, it would be just another a little crack in the in Helton's resume, but, you know, he they definitely should have a shot at him. Yeah, and, and, and that's going to be the big challenge this recruiting cycle is that there are a lot of, you know, always California has a lot of of talent to mine, and USC should always get first pick of it. But this past recruiting class and so far in this cycle, USC isn't getting first pick. Uh, LSU is coming into town. Uh, Oregon's coming into town. Washington's coming into town. The, the challenge to keep to keep a hold on Southern California, on California, is, is going to be very difficult this year. And I wonder how much of it is maybe players waiting and seeing to see what the results of the 2019 season are uh, before we see things really pick up for USC or not pick up for USC in the recruiting uh, in the recruiting cycle. So that's something to to certainly certainly track and keep an eye on. But it's it's very much going to be a waiting game. I don't expect him to be a guy who's settled and decided and knowing exactly what he's going to do until later this year. So we'll see how how all of that goes. But um, yeah, I think that's going to do it for this episode of Renatory Radio. We're almost almost right on the hour mark. This is uh this is this is pretty good. Keeping things uh keeping things nice and snappy here. Uh so I, I want to say a huge huge thanks to Alex for filling in for Michael. Uh you are the clutchest of clutchest of the clutch people uh in 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 the Rot family. Uh so I hope you I hope you enjoyed this one. Oh yeah, it was definitely fun as, as long as I'm entrenched as number two in the depth chart as we head into fall camp michael better keep his head on us <laughs> oh this is this 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 co-host competition is gonna be really fun this spring michael's michael's gotta he's gonna get wally pipped one of these days and he really needs to to protect that voice for that reason but uh 
yeah we're gonna we're gonna leave it at that thank you guys as always for listening um always remember you can subscribe to us on itunes and everywhere else uh tell your friends about us leave a review haven't really asked for reviews lately uh but that always helps us grow the show it it keeps us up in the uh up in the charts for the podcast world and uh, it means a lot too if you if you let us know how you like the show or hopefully like the show give us five stars we really appreciate that um and, and and if you want more from us if you want more usc podcast material then you can always go ahead and go subscribe to the to the Raider troy patreon always putting up tons of content over there really ramping up our stuff with spring camp i'm looking forward to the first uh, spring camp practices because that means the return of the practice car cast which is after every practice i jump in sitting in my car and record a little little recap of what went down on howard jones field every day and then then people always seem to like those so looking forward to getting back to those if you're interested in that go ahead and check out uh, patreon.com slash reina troy and help us out with with a subscription there so um that's going to do it for this episode we will be back next week with a full spring camp preview and until then see ya bye Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.